RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. We are recording this here on late Monday evening, March the 28th. And Daniel had all indications of starting this show by talking about the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix bracket that came out last week. Hell, a lot of things have happened over the last seven days. Who would have known after we finished recording the show last week that Jorge Masvidal allegedly was going into a Miami Steakhouse and... uh I guess given uh you know a little one two piece to Colby Covington, but uh, I guess we gotta start off with uh, a tweet that I had today because well, interesting interactions, Daniel. What did you got going on in Twitter land, Jason? So I was scrolling through as I'm getting ready for the show. I'm scrolling through my my Twitter timeline and I see this Sports Business Journal article about the PFL. And, and really, the article was in relation to how the PFL has grown their sponsorship business heading into their 2022 season. It's kind of you know it's something that has been thrown out there for, but you know you know. But I mean, of course, when we talk about the PFL, usually it's about them talking craziness with you know various things. So I uh, tweeted, I go. After seeing the sports business article on the PFL today and thinking about the PFL claims and how they believe their number two MMA promotion worldwide, decided to look at followers, likes, subscribers on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Now, look, I do think it's important to note that the PFL um, essentially has been around since 2012. When you talk about the World Series of Fighting and, of course, rebranding as a PFL in, in 2018, Bellator been around since 2008. So I feel like that is something to put it out there. If I told you TikTok is the only platform the PFL is beating Bellator in currently, would that surprise you? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, it's something that I think we all knew, but it's something where if you're the PFL and you're going around talking about how you are number two in town, it's like there is factual evidence on the internet that disputes that claim that at least makes that claim and puts it in doubt. But it isn't really in doubt when you look at those numbers, when you contrast Bellator and PFL. And of course, you know, you were even asked to look at the one FC numbers and you look at those social numbers. I mean, PFL is in a position where when you contrast those numbers, they aren't top three in the world. And I'm sure we might find another MMA promotion that may have an even bigger social media following than PFL. Dude, those one championship numbers are insane. I, I couldn't believe when I saw that. By the way, we'll get into those numbers. So this was one championship. YouTube, 4.59 million subscribers. Comparing that to Bellator, Bellator only has 1.4 million PFL 333,000. I will tell you, I was surprised by that PFL number. I thought it would have been much higher than, than what it is. Facebook, uh, P PFL is right there, you know, on, on the backside of Bellator. Bellator 2.2 million, 1.889 for the PFL for one championship on Facebook, bro. 21 million likes. Holy cow. 
That's unbelievable. And it kind of shows you maybe sometimes we're in our own American bubble. And we don't realize the outreach a promotion like 1FC has in the continent of Asia, right? Like we're always talking about our own American perspective. We're talking to our own casual fan. But I mean, this is a world that has over 7 billion people. And obviously 1FC has that footprint. I mean, they must have that type of footprint to afford the talent they have, afford putting on 20-some fights in one day. So, yeah, that's crazy. 20 million Facebook likes is just an unbelievable number for 1FC. Yeah, on Instagram, one championship has 6.6 million followers. Bellator, 3.1 million PFL 489,000 over on Twitter. Bellator approaching 600,000 uh, follows on Twitter. PFL just uh, at 337,000 followers for one championship, one million. TikTok, by the way, one championship, 2.3 million. Uh, PFL 70,000. Bellator 41,000. And um, you know who had to chime in on this one, right? Who? Our guy, Kale McLaren. And what did he say? Combat is number one. Uh, so he quoted my tweet. And, and look, I love Campbell. Like, I, 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 I you know what? I, I love him on social media. Because, it, look, he is that promoter. That Man, he's going to get on social media. He's going to talk about things. He goes, uh, I will offer additional data. Combate Global had 554,000 live TV viewers in the U.S. this past Thursday on Univision and Paramount+. Plus. I think PFL is on this Thursday, so that will be an interesting comparison for the self-proclaimed number two MMA organization. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, let, let me just say, text message has been interesting today. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure because just the general public relations from the PFL has been annoying to just call yourself number two unabashedly trash other promotions. It's like, we're going to fact check you. We live in a reality where that is not the case. And if you continue to, to put this crazy narrative out, we're going to call a spade a spade. And I love all the fighters that fight for them. And I love watching the shows and, and I love the unique format they have. It's just when there's some BS going around, we're not going to say nothing if it smells and it smells a whole lot. Look, the one thing and, and and no one in the industry can deny this. The one thing the PFL has over Bellator is their television distribution in the United States. You can't you can't deny that they're on ESPN. They're on ESPN, too. You know, you look at you know, all of their, their main cards this year are on ESPN, ESPN, too. Like that to me is their best selling point above all else. But it's also one of these things like for the PFL, it's like I, I want to see the PFL succeed. I, I, and, and I am sure I am sure there are people in the PFL that saw my tweet and goes, oh, there's the Bellator shield, Jason Floyd. I guarantee it. But it, I'm like. I'm just putting out facts. I'm not giving them my opinion. I'm just, I'm, I'm literally on my phone on YouTube, PFL MMA. By the way, I also, uh, I put out this tweet. So I decided to Google PFL MMA, Bellator MMA. If I'm the PFL, this is not a good sign. You know, on, on, uh, on Google, it says people also ask. Yes. The very first thing. Is PFL owned by the UFC? Oh man, 
But in comparison, in comparison, the uh, uh, if you Google Bellator MMA under people also ask, the first thing is, is Bellator MMA the same as UFC? Wow. That's, uh, that's crazy because we're in our little bubble, but it kind of bursts that bubble. And it reminds you that so many people on this planet think the sport that we love watching every weekend is called UFC. Yes. Oh, don't (laughs) you not wrong, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it burst our little bubble, right? We come in every week. We produce this podcast. uh, We talk about all the fights, whether it's in Columbus, Ohio or the apex, but at the end of the day, the vast majority of people aren't aware it's called mixed martial arts. Yeah, no question. By, by the way, I do got two interviews coming up on the podcast. You're going to hear from the Cage Warriors. Featherweight champion had a chance to uh, catch up with Jordan about uh, that slick submission win there he had there uh, at Cage Warriors 134. Also, you're going to hear from one of the men that's going to be uh, in the middleweight title fight ace up in Alaska on April the 15th. I had a chance to uh, talk to Tom Theo about his matchups. So those uh, interviews come up here later on the show. Also, you know, we got to talk about the Nate Diaz situation. We'll uh, we'll talk about uh, Curtis Blades and the UFC heavyweight division. We're going to play a little matchmaker, which I'm very interested to see where Daniel and I, how different we are. I think we're going to be quite a bit different, to be honest with you. I really do. I feel like I took some big swings with some of my matchups. Okay, I will tell you, as I was uh, putting it down on a run sheet, the first matchup I made involved Stipe Miocic, and then I went from there. Interesting, interesting. Well, I certainly have a fight for Stipe in mind, but it'll be interesting to see if it's the same one. It, it will be interesting to see if it's the same one. By, by the way, uh, we'll talk about Curtis Blades here when we get to there. Uh, in terms of UFC Columbus, by if you did not watch this, just go back and watch Matt Brown, Brian, Brian, Brian Barbarina. That was a, just an amazing matchup. Um, by the way, I, I don't know why Matt Brown corner told him he was up 2-0 after two rounds because I, I thought it was 1-1 heading into the round. You talk about the surprises of the night. Alexa Grosso submitting JoJo Calderwood. Yeah, who, who saw that? Who, like, who saw that coming? And who said, "Hey, Curtis Blades won't even attempt to take down, and he's going to win the fight." Yeah, I, I who, who saw that coming? Definitely not me. And it, it was all throughout the night. So many great surprises. You know, Chris Gutierrez getting that spinning back fist knockout win. That was an unbelievable win for him. I thought, though, for sure, uh, Alexa Grasso was going to want to stand and trade with Joanne Wood. And, and that was just not the case. And, you know, Wood's stand-up looked pretty sharp there. And she gave Grasso good reason to maybe change it up. That was just a great win for Grasso, who's on the verge of flyweight championship opportunity. You're totally right about Matt Brown. And he admitted that he let his foot off the gas, which is just something he's going to regret. But that was one hell of a freaking fight. That was a great third round too man uh blades and doc is what a fun heavyweight scrap they both hit each other pretty damn good in that first round but you could tell blades was starting to get more comfortable as it went along getting that second round victory early on you know kai kara france it, it was a bit of a close fight but this is a guy who clearly was 
the next guy after Moreno and, and Davis and Figueredo fight once again because Asker Askarov, I think, was expected to go out there and, and have a nice night in the office and kind of continue to establish himself as that number one contender. And Kai Kara Francis said, hold my beer. I want that title opportunity. He's someone who comes across as a very marketable flyweight. And by the way, look at Neil Magny, bro. Now tying the record of George St. Pierre for 19 wins in the UFC welterweight division. That dude's making history. Yeah, but by the way, if we ever see Bram Moreno, Kaikara France, banger. Yeah. By yeah. the way, Jason House, who represents Bram Moreno. So Davison Figueredo um put out a congratulations tweet to Kaikara France. Jason House uh quotes a tweet saying, See you July 30th, and if you want to sit it out. We will fight for the interim title. Call Mick Maynard and let him know when you decide. Either way, hashtag and new. So Jason House just basically put the UFC's plans out there. They want Moreno Figueroa four on July thirtieth. Absolutely, absolutely, and I hope that's the fight that we get. You know, Kara France can can step in next, but Moreno Davies is what I want to see. I mean, but as at the Askarov Car France, I mean, the first thing I just thought of, I was like, God damn, if we ever see Car Car France, Brand Moreno, that's going to be a hell of a fight because those two guys are going to stand and trade in the middle of the octagon. Yeah, and they're incredibly exciting uh, to watch stand and trade. And and those aren't the only ones. Like even Matthias Nikolaou on that preliminary card showcased. He didn't uh, finish, David, but he had great power in his punches. And I think this is a flyweight who's going to finish some guys in this division. And he's very exciting, bro. So, like, this flyweight division is just one where – it was on death's door just years ago, but it's absolutely vibrant now. Let me ask you something about uh, Brown Barbarina. Close fight. I don't think it's a robbery. If it would have gone Matt Brown's way, would have had no problem with it. I think it was just a, a close fight. Is that fight potentially scored differently if it's at the apex with no fans in attendance? Man, I... I, I don't think so, man. I, I really don't because I feel like the fans in attendance benefit Matt Brown. And the judges may think Matt Brown is having more success than he really did. So I don't know if that result is different. You know what the crazy thing is? What's the that? judge who scored the fight for Matt Brown gave Matt Brown the third round. Wow. I actually didn't see the scorecards. I just yeah. assumed. So uh, your three judges were Andrew Atkins, Michael Bell, Eric Cologne. Uh, Michael Bell and Eric Cologne had the 29-28 scores for Brian Barbarena. They gave Barbarena the second and third round, which that's how I scored the fight. I gave the second and third to Barbarena. Andrew Atkins gave the first round to Brown, the second round to Barbarena, the third round to Matt Brown. I don't know how you give the third round to Matt Brown. Yeah, that was to me clearly the round for Barbarana. It, it just was. Uh, that's shocking to me. That's a yeah, a that, bad scorecard. Yeah, that, that's a scorecard. But we'll get into Curtis Blades here uh, in a little bit. But overall, I'll say is, God damn, it is great to watch MMA uh, with fans in attendance. Yeah, and, and I think they had a great grossy night too. So not Dude, only for the fans, eighteen thousand people in the building. It's surprising. That's a surprising amount of people because a fight night card, bro. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, it was Curtis Blades versus Chris Dacus. 
you know, Chris Blaze is literally one of the best heavyweights on the roster. But he's not really a name. He's not really a star. Not many people know who Curtis Blades is, and the same can be said for Chris Dawkins and Alexa Grasso and Joanne Wood. I mean, the biggest name fighter on this card is the hometown boy, Matt Brown. For them to put that many people in that arena, man, I think it, it's it's very exciting about what the UFC is going to look like as they get back on the road. Clearly, there's that desire for the UFC uh, across the country. So it's going to be interesting if these great houses, these great gates continue to be at a high. And I really hope it motivates the UFC to get back out there more and more often because we're going to go on a run not to in the in the future where it's going to be a lot of apex cards back to back to back. And when you look at the fight card quality, well, it really shows, right? You're not going to get a fight like Manon Fioro and Jennifer Maya on, on the prelims of those types of, of, of uh, cards. That would be the co cool event on those cards that, that might be the main <laughs> event that might be the main event man look look sign, sign me up for more fight night cards in front of fans because uh i mean look i you know i sat home on saturday uh well primarily because there I, I live uh by an air force base we had an air show this weekend so basically you know don't leave your house because it'll take you forever to get back home. So I just, I chilled at home all, all weekend long, uh, watched the UFC and of course watched a, a ton of college basketball with the uh, sweet 16 and the elite eight. But, uh, you know, the thing I really wanted to get into at, at the start of the show before kind of, you know, little, little tweet I had today was about the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix bracket was revealed last week. Of course, uh, it was revealed last week. Sergio Pettis, uh, is out of this tournament. He announced on his Instagram, didn't, didn't go into details on what the injury is, but said that he's going, he's had, sur- he's had, if not, he's, if he's not had surgery, it will be having surgery out six to nine months, which I think we can kind of probably put two and two together. What that is. Yeah. ACL probably that, that to, to me, the two things that popped out to me was it's a knee injury or a shoulder injury. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, it sucks, man. It just sucks. You literally took out the best fighter in the tournament. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, one of the you know honest criticisms I did see with him being out of this tournament is it, it takes away a little bit of the luster. And I think that is a honest criticism of what this tournament is. But when I look at the fighters who are in this tournament, this is still a good bantamweight tournament. And, and uh, look, I'm not trying to, you know, be a shill for Bellator. I'm just giving you my honest opinion. I still think this is a very good tournament. It's a massive blow that you lost Sergio Pettis. Losing James Gallagher, eh, it's not a big blow in my mind. Yeah, but, I mean, but, yeah. but if you look at the bracket, to me, it tells me they're going to do James Gallagher and Leandro Higo. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, look, I think Jornel Lugo or Josh Hill probably beats James Gallagher in a, in a normal fight. I think he matched those twos up. James Gallagher loses both those fights. So in that sense, it's an upgrade losing Gallagher and gaining those wild card fights with, with Josh Hill taking Enrique Barzola on and, and Jornel Lugo taking on Danny Sabatello. But losing Sergio Pettis is a, is a massive blow. I mean, this tournament is just worse. It, there's no other way to say it. To me, it, it was it was Mix, Horiguchi, Stouts, and Sergio Pettis. You could have done a four-man tournament, and I would have been happy. But losing Sergio does suck. That being said, the tournament itself is still something I'm looking forward to watching. It's going to essentially be an extended tournament because the winner will just take on Sergio anyway. 
But yeah, I mean, I think when you look at that first round, it's hard not to get excited about the two fights that are already scheduled in the tournament. Pashi Mix and Kyoji Horiguchi and Juan Archuleta and Rafael Stouts. Those are just two phenomenal fights. Yeah, so the Archuleta Stouts and Mix Horiguchi fight is going to take place at Bellator 279 on April the 23rd, the night before the two wild card matchups will take place of Higo versus Sabatello and Hill versus Barboza, uh, Barzola, excuse me. The Lugo Sabatello is an interesting fight to me. Danny Sabatello, for people who do not know, by the way, this guy knows how to trash talk. He is an excellent trash talker. But he is very wrestling-centric, and Jornel Lugo is going to have to stop the takedown. Um, to me, the winner of that fight is in a much better position to potentially advance on to the semifinals than the winner of Barzola and Hill. Like I feel bad. Like Back in December, Josh Hill was announced as the alternate for this tournament. Now he's got to beat Enrique Barzola, and oh, by the way, you win that fight, you got Magomedov waiting for you, who may be the, there may be a lot of people who view him as a favorite to win this tournament. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could have thrown him in that list of Pettis, Horiguchi, Mixon, Stouts. Is more of a top five, realistically, because Magomedov could absolutely win this tournament. Like, if you told me Magomedov was fighting Yoji Horiguchi, I might put my money on Magomeda stylistically. I think that's a fight that favors him. Magomedov for Stouts, that would be an interesting fight. I, and I, I don't know who we're picking that one. I was thinking about it. Who's the favorite right now? The favorite right now for to me is Rafael and Stouts. So, I think he's on okay. the easiest side. He was one of my two. He was down. That was a two, one of the two guys I was down to. Other ones, Who's that Koji, one? Koji Horiguchi. Yeah. Like, like uh, as much as like you you think about that knockout that Sergio Pettis had, and it was a tremendous knockout. Let's not forget, Koji Horiguchi was dominating that fight. He yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess Horiguchi kind of deserves to be. I mean, he he spent such a, a great amount of time as as just a top fighter. The problem is, it's not the only time he's gotten caught. So even though I would argue, yes, he probably has the highest talent level out of the field, especially on the feet, to bet on him going through three fights against really high-level bantamweights and not getting clipped, that's a tough bet to make. But also, there's a few guys in this tournament where I'm not really confident in their punching power, though. So that, you know, this could be easier said than the the idea of him going through three three top bantamweights because stylistically they may not threaten him in that way anyway. Dude, the right side of the bracket is way harder than the left side. Yeah, I mean, three of the top four guys are on the right side of the bracket. Like The top four guys are Stas, Horiguchi, Magomedov, and Mix right now. Yeah. And I would put Higo maybe at five, either Higo or Echeleta, five, six. But yeah, to me, there's a, there's a top four and then it's the rest of the field. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, I look at these top five guys in a tournament and, and no particular order here. Archuleta, Stotts, Mix, Horiguchi, Magomedov. Those are the top five guys in this tournament. You know, I, I and by the way, should be noted, the Archuleta Stotts fight is going to be for the interim title. Uh, you know, the question with the Alejandro Higo is going to be way in day. He's had trouble making weight. That's going to be the interesting one there. If you tell me the winner of Archula Stotts 
ultimately takes on the winner of Jordan L. Lugo, Danny Sabatalo in the semifinals, I would not be surprised. So you really are fading Higo here. I think if I'm Higo, I'd much rather fight Jordan L. Lugo than D- Danny Sabatalo in the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, but Higo does have really good jujitsu. But yeah, you're right. He can still get outpointed easily. Um, man, I kind of hate the fact that this is for the interim bantamweight championship. Like, I get why you're doing it, though. I guess, yeah, you want to. But, but, here, but here's my thing: Why not just make the finals? Yes, for the interim title. I would agree with that. I, I honestly hate interim championships. I really do. I, you know me. I'm just yeah. so, I'm so so cynical about them. After how many times the UFC has trotted out a BS interim championship. So anytime I see it, there needs to be a really damn good reason to justify it. And if you're not on a dominant cruise type injury uh, leave, I don't think you need it. I get why you maybe won in the finals, but for that to be thrust upon every Raphael and Stout's Archuleta fight is is just to me, it's a bit much. And, and by the way, that, that Bellator 279 card, I want to pull it up here. It is a awesome fight card, by the way. If people have not seen, like I'll say this, man. Bellator has put on a hell of a fight card uh, for that one. I want to pull up. Uh, so the Friday card. So the Friday card is uh, basically their version of fight for the troops. Everyone in the building will be military personnel. They did this uh, pre-COVID, now doing it here. That'll be headlined by Juliana Velasquez taking on Liz Carmouche. Co-main event, Josh Hill versus Enrique Barzola. Jornel Lugo, Danny Sabatello. Also on the main card, you got Christian Edwards taking on Grant Neal, two of uh, their prospects there at 205 pounds. Also, you got Manny uh, Moro taking on Nate Andrews. Um, and then over on the Saturday card, I mean, this is a tremendous lineup that they've got. So you got Cyborg versus Blinko is the main event, Archuleta versus Stotts, Alima McFarlane making her return. She takes on Justine Kish. I feel like that's a little bit of a showcase vice, Daniel. I feel like that's a little bit of a showcase vice or a leave away. Uh, then Patchy Mix versus Kochi Horiguchi. Uh, that'll be your main card. Also, uh, the prelims, uh, Gochi Yamauchi is going to be a part of the prelims. Uh, banger alert. Let's just make banger alert. Emmanuel Sanchez, Yancey Medeiros. Yeah. Yeah, Yancey Medeiros, man. Little Vanderlei Silva over there. He's been around since the Strike Force days. I remember watching him fight, and that's a damn good fight. The prelims are solid at Bellator 279. I mean, there are some preliminary fights on this Bellator 279 card that I'm looking forward to more than some main card fights at Bellator 278. I mean, you know, show some respect to the troops. Put that Madero Sanchez fight on the 278 card for the love of God. Dude, I mean, like, th- honestly, this entire pre- preliminary card for 279 is a great preliminary card. You got Lance Gibson Jr. taking on Nioa Dung, Justin Gonzalez, Kai Kamaka, Kai Kamaka the third. That is a great matchup. Uh, Keone Diggs versus Bobby King. Bobby King coming off that great victory. I mean, it, it's just a, it's a tremendous lineup that they put together there. Uh, we'll tell you, going to have some Bellator 277 interviews uh, come up here over the next uh, week or so. So be on the lookout for that. Going to see maybe if, let me see if I can get uh, AJ McKee and Pitbull on the show. That, that could be interesting. That'd be great. I, I love I'm, listening. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm interested the week of that fight, how many people pick Pitbull to win. Are you going to pick him to win? 
Put me on the spot. I see what you're doing. I, I, okay, I'll just say this. How can you pick against AJ McKee right now? I don't know. The only way you can pick against him is that he beats himself. Realistically, yeah, yeah. that would be it. That just the preparation isn't there because he reached the mountaintop. And that's not saying anything about AJ McKee. That's just saying everything about athletics in that whenever people achieve that mountaintop and they do it at a young age, it's always going to be that test. How do they perform going forward? And so for AJ, it says nothing about his personality because obviously he's one of the hardest. He's a hard worker to achieve to where he's at. But you never know how a person's going to react until they get there. With that being said, even if he's firing all cylinders, Patricio Pitbull is still one of the best fighters on the damn planet. Mm-hmm. He can he can put you away in an instant. He's dangerous. So yeah, it, it's a great fight. But I, I, I'm thinking I'm probably leaning McKee too. Yeah, I mean, you also got to remember that car's got Nemkov and Corey Anderson on as well. So that's that's uh, looking forward to that one come up here uh, in a couple of weeks from now. Let's get right into the first interview here on this edition of the MMA Report podcast. You're going to hear from the Cage Warriors featherweight champion. Had a chance to catch up with Jordan. Talk to him about his great win there at Cage Warriors 134. Just an absolute slick submission getting on the back, locking in the choke. Also, uh, talk about what the future holds for him. And uh, let's just say, yeah, he's hoping uh, those three initials come calling. So here is my conversation with the Cage Warriors featherweight champion. Joining me now here on the MMA Report podcast is a man who retained his featherweight title there at Cage Warriors, 134 Jordan. Congratulations on the victory. Uh, that slick transition to get his back. Is, is that something that you and the team ended up working on particularly for this fight or is that is that a read and react type situation yeah just a react uh, type situation i mean i've done it a few times in the gym but i've never ever paid um full notice so it's just something that's um, presented itself and i've took it so it was nice to get it on on the world stage now when you get it on him you're you're very much like on his ear with are, are you talking a little trash at that moment Nah, nah, I'm just uh, staying as tight as possible, you know, trying to leave no uh, <laughs> no gaps for the chance for him to escape. Because I, I, I'll tell you, so I'm watching on Fight Pass after the fact, and when I see that, because I initially saw it on your Instagram feed, and then, like, I must have watched that transition about three or four times just to kind of see how you did it there. Um, it, when you're on the back in that standing position, it, it's just kind of the mindset of just not trying to lose your balance and lose that position. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I got there, I mean, anybody will know when they've rolled with me, if you give me your back, you're not getting it. You're not getting me off it, basically. So uh, when I had it, I was more just waiting to see how he would react. You know, I thought he was going to try put my back on the fence and try to scrape me off. So I was ready for that. But I think um, it showed a, a bit of lack of knowledge from him because he sort of didn't know what to do. He sort of walked towards the fence. Uh, and then just paused. I think he was more going over to have his corner talk him through how to get out of it. Yeah, part of me was like him not, you know, not trying to get you to defense. The other part, of it, I thought like he was going to try to slam you at some point to maybe try to try to release you. Was that, is that also kind of a, a surprise to you as well? Yeah, that that was in my head. Um, but I think that that just sort of makes it ten times worse if you throw yourself to the mat because um, in in that sort of explosion, I would have slipped under the neck regardless. Um, but I remember just squeezing him and thinking to myself, he sort of arched back. And I remember in my head thinking, right, here we go. He's about to go sleep. We're about to smash into the, the ground. And fortunately for me, he taps. 
And of course, it was uh, your first fight in over a year. You mentioned about the the injury that you you had. I mean, uh, as you think about that year between fights, like how how do you describe what the, the last year was like for you? Uh, it's been it's been hard, but I've never ever um, come away from uh, the the point of trying to improve. I was always in the gym, even with a broke thumb. I was in the gym, um, just trying to gain as much knowledge as I could. Because I think in this sport, if you take a year out or you are lazy for a year, there's guys that are just gonna overlap you. So I, I just had to stay focused, stay on it. In terms of, you know, we mentioned about how you got the victory, but at the end of the first round, you did have to deal with a little bit of adversity. He catches a kick, ultimately gets on, on your back. And when you when you get up after a first round, it's like you walk back to the corner and like you're telling your corner, like, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, um, I've said it no end of times. I believe I've got the best fight IQ in the game and, and, and um, not so much fight IQ, but, but reacting on the spot. I think I've got the best in the world I think I'm the best in the world um, so I remember being there and thinking I can probably bust the nut and get out of this and, and get back to striking or it's, it's one round we have five there's 20 more minutes to go so I thought in my head right I'll just we'll make sure that nothing happens this round I'll just stall the rest of the round out let him have the first round and I'll just get straight back after him after this so when I hopped up as you see I said to the corner I'm fine it's fine yeah, you know the the term fight IQ we hear it all the time. You know, I think most recently in the UFC you had a fighter who's dominating first round goes for a takedown and ultimately gets, gets choked out. Was, was there a moment in your career where you realized like, okay, fight IQ? I've always had this thing. Yeah, I just think um, I, I watch it that much and I'm so obsessed with it. I think I can play over a thousand scenarios in my head where some guys can't. Um, my MMA coach described it as if you were playing a sort of game of hide and seek in your neighborhood, you know, all the shortcuts and, and, and if this is someone from the outside coming in. Um, they might only know where A, B and C is, whereas, you know, all the shortcuts and all the, the hiding spots. And I, that's how I just feel with MMA. I know, all right, if that don't work, I've got another hundred things in the bank that's, um, that I can do. You know, I, I had another fire recently say to me, they, they said, uh, MMA is a, pu- a puzzle solving business. There's a thousand yeah. different pieces, but it's just a matter yeah. of how you put those, those pieces in. Do you kind of, I kind of feel like you, that's, that's kind of similar mindset that you have. Yeah. And, and the, the puzzle pieces all can make different pictures. That's how it is. <laughs> um, and some can be beautiful and some can be not so much. And I think that's how MMA is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, over the past uh, couple of years of the pandemic era of fighting, but obviously this this fight was in front of a crowd. I mean, is it one of those things of, do you feel like you feed off that energy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I kept saying to Graham and the guys at Cage Warriors, I kept saying, when I get a crowd, you'll see how big of a star I can be. And um, I, I knew it was going to be uh, electric in there. I just had no idea it was going to be to the level it was. I mean, when I walked out, everybody said such a a lot of people said the best ring walk they've ever seen and a lot of people the haters said oh such a long ring walk but <laughs> I was just taking it all in I just thought this is my moment I'm like a superstar in this moment and I just got to take it all in while it's there the, the nickname the epidemic who gave you the nickname just um on a local fight show when I was an amateur just one of the um promoters said oh I know who you are you're that kid so you're that epidemic that comes in and uh Eats all the top guys on the the local regional shows, and uh, it just stuck when he said it. The epidemic Pachenik, that was it. That, that was the the nickname was born from then. Did you like the nickname at the start? 
I did well when I first got told it. I was young, so I didn't even know what an epidemic was. I had to go back and search it. And when I sort of uh, read the meaning, I thought, nah, that is good. Um, but when I'm on the UFC, they're going to have to change me to the pandemic because I'm going to be worldwide. In terms of obviously, you know, with a, a title offense here, I mean, it is simply the mindset of like my next fight's got to be in the UFC. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you you bring about what you think about as well, and that, and I'm sort of soul minded. I'm just when my phone's ringing, I'm stopping whatever I'm doing because I'm just hoping it's the call. Um, yeah, that's just how I am. Just one track minded for it. You just you just you, you, the mindset's look down and say, hopefully that's Jason House call me. <laughs> Is that, is that the mindset? Is that American ringing me? Uh, no, it doesn't matter. I answer it, and if it's no one else, I'll be there. We'll just hang up. Is it is it an American number? Okay, I think I need to answer this one. Oh shit! Yeah, quick answer this one. Uh, in terms of uh, health wise, everything all good. Uh, are you back into the gym? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was back in Monday. People were laughing about it. I was hard wrestling on Monday for on the um, Friday. And, um, I mean, I literally I basically had a fought on the Friday. I had the Saturday when. I sort of ate what I wanted for the whole day, um, me and my girlfriend. And I say I ate what I wanted. Um, I had like a, I had two bad things, and one of them was a tuna and cucumber roll, and then the other one was um, it's called Wagamamas in the UK. It's basically basically just like a steak stir fry. And okay. That's what I had, and, and then uh, yeah, so I had that day not doing anything. Then Sunday I was back um, teaching back doing um, strength conditioning and then Monday back straight back to it three times a day. As more American fans get to know who you are, what would you want the United States mixed martial arts fan to know about you? Just that I'm going to be one of the best all-rounders you've ever seen. The new generation coming up, I'm going to be sort of uh, at the top of that bunch. And uh, yeah, just be ready to be entertained wherever the fight goes. Don't be watching me thinking, oh, he's got great striking, but if it hits the ground, uh, it's we're in for a boring fight because it's never going to be the case. One of the things when people see your appearance, they're going to see you got a lot of tattoos. Yeah. What was the first tattoo? On my neck. On my neck, crazily enough. Uh, I was a bit of a problem child. So uh, when I t- said I'm getting a tattoo, I just said, yeah, I'm going to get it on my neck because everyone said not to, so I just did it. Yeah, straight on my neck. And then uh, there's no going back from there, is there? That's uh, that's an interesting uh, location for a first tattoo. It is, it is. And I, I, listen, I'm, I'm all in, all out, uh, just like I am with MMA. As you can see from my tattoos, I'm all in. And hopefully by the time, well, hopefully I'm covered when I fight next. But if I fight soon, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. But I'm not asked if I haven't got any more tattoos by then. Is there a part of you that says, man, what what if you get a tattoo and like, you know, get a call? Hey, we we got you a fight in 10 days. You ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't bother me. I I got, I got my ribs um, tattooed um, seven days before the fight that I just had. (laughs) (laughs) I had four hours done on my ribs getting it done. So uh, yeah, I could get tattooed. And if you film it fight the next day, that's no problem. That's awesome. We look forward to seeing potentially when that uh, next fight could take place, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, uh, let me know they can follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? No, just uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Jordan Vachenik MMA. And um, yeah, like I said, hopefully that I'm fighting sooner rather than later. And uh, I'm coming for everyone, I'm coming for uh, the big performances as well. 
And I appreciate Jordan coming on the podcast to talk about his win there. If you have not seen that over at UFC Fight Pass, you got to check that out. Uh, man, just a slick submission that he pulled off there. And uh, because of Cage Warriors, you probably expect that a good chance his next fight's probably in the UFC. But Daniel, a little earlier in the show, we, we talked about the win Curtis Blades had. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to do here is we will play a little matchmaker for the UFC heavyweight division. So I've written down, written down the top 10 plus the champion, Francis Ngannou, and let's play a little matchmaker. All right, I've got Ngannou taking on John Jones. Okay, okay, so here's what I wrote. Out till quarter one, 2023, so I didn't book him for a fight. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, I didn't mean to burp on camera. I'm wow, that's that's the most that's the most awful thing caught on camera since I don't know Will Smith knocking the dude out. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Get Francis your name out of my your mouth. Yeah, listen, man. All I gotta say is if The Rock is doing the presentation, he's probably gonna make as many jokes about Jada Pinkett Smith as he wants. Poor Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah, if Francis Ngannou's making that joke, I don't think Will Smith is stepping to him, is is what I'm thinking. But, uh, yeah, all I got to say is straight up, lame move by Will Smith. But, you know, regardless, Francis Ngannou, I, I, I'm paying him money, and I'm paying John Jones money. Look, I know John Jones got a lot of issues. That kind of goes without saying. But, like, John Jones and Francis Ngannou is like the greatest fight that would ever happen in the history of the human beings. Like humans have been around a while, Jason, going back to the gladiator days. I don't know if it gets better than John Jones and Francis Ngannou. All right. I have John Jones in a matchup. How the hell do you have John Jones booked and not against Ngannou? How? Because Ngannou's not going to fight till the first quarter of 2023. And we have we have no idea if he's even going to be in the UFC. By the way, so you know when interim title fight's coming. Yeah, yeah, Interim yeah, title yeah, fight's coming. Yeah. It is John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. That's a great fight. That's a great fight, man. Why'd you book it? It's To me, it's the most logical matchup to make. And yeah. I might have been listening to the Anakin Florian podcast. I heard them kind of mention it. And I'm like, one guy works for the UFC. Maybe he knows yeah. something. I don't know. But I, yeah. I just, to me, it makes all the sense in the world. Put that fight in Cleveland. Yeah, man. I, uh, God, I, I, I dig that a whole lot, man. It's, uh, it, it's a great one. When, when I was booking Steve Miocic, I really had a lot of trouble, but I ultimately settled on. I ultimately settled on Stipe Miocic taking on Curtis Blades. It, it was a fight that just made a lot of sense for me. These are two like really damn good heavyweights, and I think it's a fight that you know Blades deserves. And it, it's something where we're gonna be able to see like where Stipe's at because it's been a really long time since we've seen him fight. Man, so we, I just I just think it's a great fight there. Our picks are definitely way different. Yeah. Who do so, you got, okay, this is where the struggle became for me. First off, you know the hardest guy to book in this tied, top ten was tied to Abasa? No. Who? Derek Lewis. Oh, I picked a fight for him. The reason being is Derek Lewis has fought the top half of this division. So it's like, uh, yeah. what rematch, you know? So for Todd to Avasa, I didn't want to put him up against Curtis Blades. Now I understand why you do Blades Miocic. That fight makes a lot of sense. 
for Curtis Blades. So I didn't want to do a two of awesome matchup. So I went with Tom Aspinall for Curtis Blades. Ooh, that's a great fight. That's a great fight. For Todd Tuavasa, I went surreal gone. Wow. Yeah, that's a that could be an interim heavyweight championship fight. It could. It absolutely could. Um, damn, that's a good one. You see, Tai Tuavasa was the odd man out. He just was. I'm sorry. But why, I, I just, why are you hating the, the shoey? But by, by the because, way, have you noticed all these fires all of a sudden now want to chug beers when they're walking out of the cage? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not cool. It's tied to Voss's thing. All right, look, I, I I'm not hating the shoey, but it was one of those things where, personally, as a fan, I kind of would rather watch Surreal Gone fight Tom Aspinall. Okay. I personally would rather see that fight. I feel like a Surreal Gone fights tied to Avasa, that's not going to be pretty. But the thing is, Tai Tuavasa has won five fights in a row, so he totally deserves it. Uh, I'm putting Tai Tuavasa. This is a massive step down for him, but I just couldn't find anyone else for him. I was putting him against the winner of Jairno Rosenstrike and Marcin Tabura. That was the fight I was going to make, but it's a fight I didn't feel good about. It's just that the dancing partners were Blades and, and Stipe and Cyril Gan and Tom Aspinall. And for Derek Lewis, I went with Sergey Pavlovich. Holy crap! We agree on something. Yeah, <laughs> that's he a was, no-brainer. Like right? he was, like it was sitting there going, "Okay, one of the ones I thought of, Derek Lewis, was a rematch against Alexander Volkov." Yeah, yeah, that one makes sense too. It really does. But I say, you know what? Let's give him a fresh matchup. And so, literally, I looked outside the top ten. I said, "Okay, we'll go with Sergey." Um, who did you do, Tom Aspinall? You you did against Cyril Gon? Is that who you do? Yeah, yeah, I did Tom Aspinall against Cyril Gon. So Alexander Volkov, I went against Chris Dawkins. Now, did you see the brutal honesty from Curtis Blades about uh, Dawkins? No, I didn't see that actually. What did he say? He believes Dawkins needs to go down two hundred five pounds. That he's not, he, I think the comment was just because you weigh as a heavyweight doesn't mean you're a heavyweight. I was like, ooh, ouch. Damn, that's messed up. That, did you say that after the fight? Yeah, it was, um, I'll pull up the, because uh, I saw it on Instagram, and it was a, uh, it was an MMA junkie. Uh, I know this is just great, great uh, podcasting here. Um, as I find this tweet, he goes, this is a quote, no shade, he should probably drop to light heavyweight. Not everyone's a heavyweight. It's okay. Just because you weigh 245 does not mean you're a heavyweight. Damn. Whew. Burn. That, yeah, that's savage, bro. That's absolutely savage. Wow. Uh, I, I think for Volkov, man, the Chris Dawkins fight to me is, is also what I had. Because, like, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of expecting Jairno Rosenstruck to beat Tibera, but I'm not going to book Tibera and Volkov again. That just happened. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm thinking Volkov, Dawkins as well. Here's the other thing about Chris Dawkins, and, and we'll see what, what he decides to do, whether he wants to try to cut down, uh, you know, and obviously would have to make lifestyle changes. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, you're, you know, I mean, now a good amount of, of light heavyweights, they walk around probably around 200, 225 pounds. But I think for Chris Dawkins, take some time off, bro. You've now been knocked out two times within the last four months. Yeah, they've been bad knockouts too. Yeah, I mean, knocked out December 18th by Derek Lewis and now March 26th against Curtis Blades. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good call because, I mean, there's a whole lot of guys in this division that are going to knock you out. The question is, did he rest his brain after the Derek Lewis knockout? I mean, it's a legit question, I think. Yeah, and it's a question people need to ask every time a situation like that happens. I mean, I think back to, God, who was it? Who was that middleweight that got knocked out and got right back in there? Was that Nate Marquardt? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. There was there was somebody who, like, got brutally knocked out, and then they got another fight, and it was an absurd. It wasn't Mark Warren. It was somebody. But it was like they got brutally knocked out, and then they got a replacement fight. They, they filled in for someone, and it was like a stupid time frame that made no sense. And I, Michael Bisping. Yeah, when he got when man, he man. lost he lost the title against GSB, and then he took that short notice fight. What two or three weeks later against yeah. uh, Kevin Gaslam, and he just got pieced apart. Yeah, yeah, that that was one. Wasn't that, that, and wasn't that the last fight of Bisping's career? Let's see. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was his last last fight. I think that might it may it could very well be someone else you're thinking of, but but I think no, he, Michael Bisping sounds about right. Because I mean, the, the Gaslam fight wasn't even close. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Kevin Gaslam fight. Yeah, so it was 21 days between fights. Yeah, yeah. That and he got knocked out in the one before, right? Uh, technical so, submission against uh, GSP, and then knocked out in the first round, two minutes and 30 seconds against Gaslam. Oof. Man, I almost feel like that's not the guy I'm thinking of. Because I feel like the guy I'm thinking of got knocked out, but uh, I'm not going to be able to figure it out. My, uh, my my brain's my brain's fried. I don't know. I don't know who who it was, but I feel like it was a middleweight or welterweight. And uh, for some reason, Darren Till's name is in there, but obviously it wasn't him. But maybe it was an opponent of his. But who knows? Uh, I'll never figure it out. Maybe it is Bisping. By the, by the way, speaking of Darren Till, um, have you looked at the uh, fighting odds for his new best friend, Hamzat Chimaev, against Gilbert Burns? What is it? Hamzat's like a 5-1 to one betting favorite. Are you kidding me? I, I was I was looking stuff up. That's there. crazy. That's I, a lot of disrespect. Because I was starting to do some prep for um, next week's UFC pay-per-view. And I was like, by the way, Alexander Volkanovsky is over a six to one betting favorite against the Korean zombie. That makes sense. That one makes sense. I, I could absolutely see that, but Chimaev being that big a favorite over Gilbert Burns is, is amazing to me. I mean, I would, I would put money down on Burns for sure with those betting odds. That fight is just simply closer than Look, that. Looking at DraftKings Sportsbook, Hamzat Chimaev currently a minus five fifty betting favorite against Gilbert Burns. Dude, look, Shemaev's unbelievable, right? J- just a phenomenal fighter. But this dude is 10 and 0, and he wanted to retire from the sport not that long ago. And he's that big of a favorite against Gilbert Burns. His biggest win is over Lee Jing Liang and Gerald Merchart. Hey, but, but hey, hey, that OG, Neil Magny, still calling him out. I think there's only about three guys I've heard call out Hamzat Shemaev. Neil Magny, Bilal Muhammad, and Gilbert Burns. Yeah, and the and the and the dictator of uh what Chechnya? Yeah, so, look, that- do you hear Usman talking about Hamzat Shemaev? Do you hear Colby Covington? Well Colby's the uh, Col- issues to deal with right now. Yeah, he's guys he's gotta find his tooth. 
uh, yeah, I I mean, yeah, no one no one wants these like there's there are these like we should make an all badass team of just the guys no one calls out. No one calls out Chimaev. No one calls out Mahachev. Uh, there's a couple other on there I'm, that no I'm try, one calls I'm trying, out. I'm trying to think of current MMA fires that people just don't call out. I mean, yeah, I mean those Ham, are two Hamzat and Mahachev, that is, that, yeah, that's the one too right there. Yeah, and, and there's probably another one that will come to mind. Uh, let's see, kind of looking at these weight classes. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, 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 I don't know. Yeah. How many people were calling out in Ghana before he was the heavyweight champion? Yeah, he he was definitely a part of that uh, idea. I mean, no one's calling out Leon Edwards. Poor Leon. Uh, no one's calling out. Ooh, I got one. Uh, Raphael Fizayev. That might be oh, one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That no one that no one wants a piece of. I don't think anyone's going to want a piece of. Uh, man, we'll see what happens to Alex Oliveira, Sean Strickland. Right? If Oliveira looks unbelievable, he might be another one that no one wants a piece of. Did you Ooh, Did you uh, see who Sean Strickland's next fights against? That's what I said. I, I, Alex no, I said. I, I, did I say I said Alex Oliveira? I meant Alex. Uh, Dude, you talk Jesus about fast tracking. Alex Bahia up this yeah. rankings. Like it is very clear. They are trying to fast track him versus Izzy. No yeah, question. He's not, about he's it. not even a top 15 fighter. Who do, who do you think wins that fight between Perea and Strickland? Ooh. Problem is Strickland can be a wild man. Yeah. I, I think Strickland probably like, wins okay, that fight. Here's the thing. True false. Alex Bahia beats Sean Strickland. He gets a title shot after that. True. Oh, yeah, I think it's true, too. I mean, this guy's going from unranked to taking on, like, a top five middleweight. Like, like I mean, yeah, true, 100%. I mean, there just aren't that many, like, interesting middleweight contenders. They're going to fast-track him like crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's a – I mean, by the way, the, the card next week in Jacksonville, the pay-per-view, it's – man, it's, it's a great fight card. Um, You know, the only things I was looking at I did not realize until I was looking at the stats – that Peter Yan had seven takedowns against Aljamain Sterling in their first meeting. I didn't realize that either. It's a crazy stat. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. That's not some, that's not what I remember about that fight whatsoever. Wow. <laughs> I'm guessing you remember about the end of the fight. Yeah, that's what I do remember. Uh, Jesus. I I, I, here's the thing, okay? I want to find the person next week that picks Aljamain Sterling to win that fight. I think you're going to have a hard time finding that person. Yeah, it could happen, but I'm not going to be the one to, to make that pick. I mean, it, it's you? like what, what, after what we saw the first fight, how could you make that your pick? It's the, the only reason is like, like Aljamain Sterling to me has always had incredible upside. Like just like this guy could be the best fighter on the planet upside throughout his career at times. And so there's always that unlimited ceiling for him, but Peter Yan has been the fighter that, you know, maybe I thought Aljo could be, except for the standup is just so much more vicious out of Peter Yan. So it's hard to pick him, but maybe Aljo could out wrestle him, even though he obviously was not able to do that at UFC 259, but that would be the strategy. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, uh, next week's card in Jacksonville. Ian Gary's also on that card. Another reason I'm looking forward to seeing that there on the prelims. To get to the uh, second and final interview here on this week's edition of the podcast, it's with the man that is going to be fighting up at the Alaska Combat Entertainment Show on April the 15th, as I had a chance to talk to Tom Theocharis about his title fight come up here in Nick uh, later on this month. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's going to be looking to claim the Alaska Combat Entertainment middleweight title on mm-hmm. April the 15th as he has his first fight in just over a year. Tom, uh, appreciate you, you taking time out, out of your busy day to talk to me here, man. Uh, how, do you des- having me. how do you describe the last 12 months for you? Hectic. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> crazy. Uh, wow. Wow. I, don't, I can't even put it into words, to be honest with you. It's just been uh, basically so I competed in February of last year. Um, I'll do a little summary. Competed in February of last year. Fight didn't go my way. Um, went right back into training camp. Um, was supposed to fight, I believe, May 1st or something like that or end of April. Ended up breaking my arm and I was out for three months. Um, and so I, as soon as I got back and, you know, got the okay from the doctor, um, I booked a fight in South Africa for EFC, which would have been an incredible, um, you know, experience. I was really excited. You know, I had a really good op- op- opponent in front of me. It was a picture perfect matchup. He was like more of a stand-up guy. He was a vet. He had a lot of fights, but you know, I thought it was, uh, you know, a good matchup for me. Then my girlfriend passed away, unfortunately. And so, you know, that really put a damper on things. And so, you know, I try been still tr- obviously trying to recover from that, you know? Um, and so she passed away in august and then i booked a fight i got offered a fight in october and so i went into training camp um that fight ended up falling through last minute um and then so i kind of stuck with training camp and then um you know i had another fight booked for february that fight fell through and now we're now we're three weeks out from uh, a title fight april 15th so let's just kind of keep our fingers crossed that this happens you know i have a good feeling about this one and uh i like the matchup it's for a belt um it's in alaska which is a it's it's a once in a lifetime experience you know fighting you know i'm fighting in alaska and i'm from canada and you know fighting for a pro title and you know it's a it's a once in a lifetime experience so i'm really looking forward to it sorry to hear about you but your loss that you you had there um you know when you have um you know this amount of time between fights i I guess it's it's always easy to look at the the cons as as opposed to the pros like as you think about where you were prior to your last fight as a martial artist and to, and to where you're at now, like, cause I know the cliche we always hear in the game is like, Oh man, if I face that guy, I would destroy that guy. We hear that cliche all the time, but like, as you think about where you were as a martial artist, is there something you notice in yourself that just wasn't there back a year ago? For sure. I mean, one thing is my grappling skills, um, my mindset. Um, I think, you know, having more of that want and be willing to learn more as because before I was sort of like ignorant, Oh, like I'm going to fight this guy and hopefully he won't go and wrestle me and try to take me down. But everyone knows that when you're, when you're going to fight me, um, they're going to try to grapple. Right. And so now I really, you know, 
I really kind of worked on my grappling skills and, you know, wanting to learn, you know, that's the biggest thing. It's like, okay, well you could, you could go in the gym and work on some things. You got a fight coming up and, you know, going to the gym and let's just say, you know, I train twice a day, every single, every single day, other than Sundays, that's my off day. And so, you know, back then, let's just say my morning workout was like a pad session. And then, you know, the second workout was like some kickboxing drills, but now I'm working towards, okay, you know, my first session is going to be, you know, working escape. So then, you know, my second session might be wrestling. I'm going to be working on my weaknesses more and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, to answer your question, I'm a completely different fighter. My mindset's much different and, uh, I would kill myself from, uh, from, from a year ago. So, yeah. Like when you like mindset, that's a, that's a term we we hear in athletics, not just in in the fight game, but like you think about your mindset in 2017 when you made your pro debut to where you're at now. Like if you, if you could go back and tell yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Take this shit more seriously. Like, holy shit. Before, you know, I was, I was fighting. I, I would say, you know, I was doing it more so because I loved it, you know, and I wasn't taking it as seriously. Like I would fight. I then, you know, wouldn't show up to the gym for like, you know, two months or like I would, I would, you know, I just had really bad habits. And now I've realized that martial arts is more of a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go out drinking and going out to dinner with your friends every single you know weekend and that sort of stuff. You have to dedicate your whole entire life. You can't be half ass in it. You know, you can't half ass it. And so basically it's a 24 seven job, you know, like you're never off the clock. And so, you know, when I first made my pro debut in 2017, it was like, you know, I, it was like a part-time gig to me, you know, I would just train before fights. I wouldn't, you know, do the necessary steps in order to, you know, be the better fighter. And, you know, it was more so like a get ready for conditioning kickboxing fight, like a fitness kickboxing, because I, I would just, you know, go for runs and spar and do that sort of stuff. I did take it seriously before my, my fights. However, what I thought taking it seriously was back then is not what it actually is in reality. And so I kind of, you know, moving to Toronto here is, you know, really opened my eyes and, and saw, you know, the dedication, what it actually takes to be a fighter. So. And when we look at this title fight against Jesse Hull, you know, he, he's two and one in, in his career. But the one thing that sticks out to me is the fact of his last fight, at least according to topology was in 2020. Does yeah. that make it, does that kind of make it one of the, the biggest challenges of fight of like, man, like the last time this guy competed was two plus years ago. Yeah. And, and we all know in this industry, a fighter is going to change so much in two years. Like, is, is that one of the things that you think that potentially there's a little bit more of a feeling out process to start the fight for you? Maybe just to kind of say, okay, this is the things I've seen about him on film and then maybe see, maybe he shows you something different. Yeah, 1000%. I mean, like, like you said, he's, he hasn't fought since 2020. And you're always, you know, if you're a dedicated fighter, fighter, you're always getting better. And so I, for this particular fight, I haven't, you know, I did look up footage on him. And I've actually known about him for a while, because I looked up that Alaska region, there's a lot of guys from there that I would like to fight. And, you know, he was, he's been on my target for a while. And so when the fight got offered to me, I said, yes, right away. And, 
I kind of like dug deeper. Okay. Well, he comes from a BJJ gym and you know, like he hasn't fought in two years. So I haven't like, you know, taken every, I haven't looked at his fights and go, this is exactly what he does. This is exactly what he does because I've gone into fights and I've looked up so much footage on my opponent where like I'm obsessing over it. And then they do something that they don't show in footage and then you kind of get stopped or slumped sorry so i mean that's kind of one thing that i learned as well as you know yeah you could watch footage of your opponent but like don't obsess over it. like there's this one fight i absolutely obsessed over watching footage over my opponent and it just bit me in the ass at the end you know it just it didn't work out uh it didn't work out well for me so is your mindset of watching footage, is it just like, okay, I'm just trying to get the, the details. Like, hey, does he fight orthodox? Does he fight southpaw? You know, you know, is it more of like, okay, because at the end of the day, it's like I've had coaches say this to me of like, you gotta you you need to have a familiarity with what your opponent does. Yeah. But at the end yeah. of the day, this is about you, not about yeah. him. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is like, okay, I'll look at his footwork. Because, you know, does he block leg kicks? You know, I'll, I'll see what he does and, you know, look at it from like a very basic standpoint. Like, does he do basics or yeah. sorry, is, does he do well with basics? If he doesn't, then it's like, okay, well, this could potentially be an easy fight, you know? However, no fight is easy, right? Like you're going in there, like this guy's an ex-Marine, I'm pretty sure. Like he's fucking tough. If you're an ex-Marine, you're automatically tough. Yeah. Right. Like I'm, t I'm going into this fight. Like it's going to be the toughest fight of my life. And it's not like stylistically and on paper, it's not. Um, however, I'm taking it as if it is, you know, the toughest test of my career. Um, one thing I really do like about this fight is I've got, you know, between my amateur and pro um, MMA fights, you know, this will be my 15th fight, you know, and this will be this guy's fourth. Right. And so this is like the first time I've ever had a substantial amount of experience over any single one of my opponents. And that's made me supremely confident. Like my last fight, you know, I was fighting a guy that was, uh, he had almost 20 pro, um, pro MMA fights. He fought for Bellator. Then he had like another 20 amateur MMA fights, something along those lines. And, you know, like I, 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 I liked that he had the, those amount of fights, but at the end of the day, it also, you know, gave me some doubts. Okay, well, like this guy's been in Bellator. He's got all this experience on me. Um, but if I beat this guy, it's going to look good on my resume. However, you know, I don't really have to worry about experience for this guy because, like, this is this guy's fourth fight ever as, in, as an MMA fighter, which is, like, not very much at all. And like I said, this will be my 15th. You know, I had my fourth MMA fight in 2015 so i mean i'm pretty well prepared for this uh a couple of fun ones before we get out of here um yeah. favorite app on your phone that's not social media related oh damn damn that's a tough question that's a tough question um okay the one that i use the most is i'm obsessed with my fitbit watch and so okay. the fitbit Fitbit, the Fitbit watch comes with this app and I literally check it every single day. Like what my sleep stats are, what my heart rate is, 
all that stuff. And it was, to the, so my girlfriend, she actually got, had a Fitbit. And so I was like, oh, this is so cool. What's this all about? And I ended up buying like this shitty smartwatch from Amazon for like 50 bucks. I had it for one day and I'm like, okay, I want the real thing. <laughs> I got the real thing. I got the Fitbit and I just would obsess over this app every single day to the point where my girlfriend thought I was mental. So I would say this Fitbit uh, app. So. That, 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 no, that, that makes sense. Especially, yeah. uh, you know, um, you know, I, I had a Fitbit one time now I have Apple watch and yeah, with your workouts of tracking everything, yeah. sleep. Yeah. Uh, cool. I see the shirt with Metallica. So I'm guessing yeah. the answer is if you, <laughs> if we're walking into a gym and they say you got control of the music is Metallica. What's going on? You know what? Enter Sandman is just, and it's a, it's an instant classic. I, I mean, I, I, I like, okay. I'm not going to lie. I like band t-shirts. It's, it's my style. I think it's a great out, you know, any, you could, you could wear band t-shirt anywhere, like a long band t-shirt. It looks good on a lot of people. It's relatively, you know, stylish. However, Metallica, yeah, they do have a few good songs, but I like, I like old school rap. That's my favorite. So I will tell you the best concert I've ever been to was uh, I was out in San Francisco and uh, Willie Nelson puts on an acoustic concert. It's like an all day concert event. Metallica was a headliner. And, and so I worked in radio for a long time and you'd have musicians come in. And the one thing I always tell you, you know who the great musicians are is when they can play acoustic. Yeah. Metallica was unbelievable acoustic. Yeah. It, it was funny. They were, they yeah. were, it was when they had a new album out a couple of years ago and uh, they were playing a song and uh, they, James stops midway yeah. through the song. Says, that sucks. We got to start over. No start, it starts the song over. <laughs> Man, seeing them live would have been incredible. So yeah. What bands do you like? I'm a, I'm an old school hip hop guy for yeah, the most that's part. That's what I am too. You know, you know my, so, so, one of my very first walkout songs was Twins by Big Pun in Fat Joe. Okay. It's an instant classic. Yeah, so. like, you know, because to me, like, we used to have this station down here. It was called Throwback Tampa Bay. So it was literally all hip hop from basically the 90s and early oh, 2000s. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was my jam. That was my that's, jam. That's, that's the best. You know, uh, that's, I don't like the new rap. It's like, I, I don't, I don't like it at all. I'm an old school rap guy from, you know, from the beginning. So. It's, it's funny for me when it comes to music is because I don't really listen to terrestrial radio at all. Yeah. And so like, I just listen to a playlist on Spotify, Apple music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, like people will tell me like some new song and I'm like, no, the, the likelihood is I have no yeah. idea what it is. <laughs> I'm not even willing to listen to these shitty new songs, to be honest with you, by these. I don't even know these. I don't even know any relevant artists at this point that are, you know, rappers. So I'm just I'm completely out of the game on that part. So I, I couldn't tell you. I don't think I've downloaded a newer album in the last couple of years i just, oh, I, just I, I just i i find myself honestly just listening to spotify playlists and it'll be yeah. on the background type thing or you yeah. know driving around the car um it's it's I'm a big food fighters guy as far as you know rock bands food fighters audio slave audio slave was by far my favorite but i don't know if you do are you familiar with the tragically hip they're a big canadian band no 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 you aren't oh, i don't have God. to check them out they're like the most Canadian band on the planet. So I, they're one of those bands that they never really 
flourish outside of Canada just because they're so Canadian. However, the lead singer did pass away in 2017 from brain cancer, unfortunately. Um, However, they are kind of, you know, they're up there with audio slaves, uh, Foo Fighters and and those sort of bands for me. So, yeah, when it comes to like rock, uh, Shinedown's always been a big one for me. I've seen seen them live. They they put on a really good live show. Um, Do you like country music? No. The funny thing is I work for a country station. (laughs) <laughs> you don't like it. and uh i just i'll say this country music fans they know how to party <laughs> like like pound okay. for pound country yes. no one can hang with country music fans when it comes no. to partying going to country concerts is honestly the best time ever i've been it, to so many i, I, I do I, like i do like country but you know anytime you go to a country concert it's never a bad time it's funny thing is because we have an amphitheater here in tampa and when yeah. i was working for the station and like the first show i went to and like it's like eight hours before we're setting up people are in the parking lot tailgate like it's a football yeah. game it's it's yeah, crazy well, i went to this i went to this country music festival it's called boots and hearts and people were there so like it's like this big campground and you know obviously the concert's going on and there was like i think four head or three or four headliners but people went there from wednesday until monday morning and they partied the whole time sleeping in tents i could only last like a night or two no more than that anytime you're i'm sleeping out in a tent it's horrible the sun's beaming down and then it's like a sauna in there and then there's people blasting music it's like yeah it's not for me but yeah so yeah yeah when, when i first started radio we we had a we had a festival we did and yeah it was by by the time you got to that last day there was some yeah smelly funking people that <laughs> <laughs> you can tell and not take a shower in a couple of yeah, days but uh but yeah. tom man i really appreciate you coming on the show of course Thanks, uh, look Thank forward very much congrats look forward to seeing this fight here come up for the middleweight title of course let me know anything fight on social media anybody else you want to mention man yeah, um, Instagram at Tommy Theo would like to thank, you know, all my training partners, uh, my coaches and uh, my family and friends and yourself for the interviews so, and, the, and the support. So, And that was my conversation with one of the men that's going to be fighting for the ace middleweight title there on April the 15th. I th- appreciate Tom coming on this show. Of course, uh, both those interviews that uh, you heard on the show were done in video form. So uh, be sure to pop over to Emmy Report YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe. Hit that notification bell so you know when a new video is up there live on the channel. Also, uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hit that follow button. Hit that rating and review. It really does help us out. Helps that algorithm out a lot as well. So really do appreciate everyone that tunes into this show each and every week. Uh, Daniel, we talked about the, a lot of crazy things have happened over the last seven days. One of those was Nate Diaz on Saturday afternoon tweeting, I would like to request to be released from the UFC at Dana White at Hunter. Clearly thinking that's Hunter Campbell's Twitter account, which is not. I apologize for asking you online, but you don't give me a fight ASAP. I got shit to do. Well, I can't blame him, man. I can't blame him. I mean, dude, get this man a freaking fight. All right. We all know he has one fight left on his deal. He's a legend. He's 36 years old. We've only seen him fight one time in like the past three years. Give Nate Diaz a damn fight. Is Are they going to release him? Absolutely not. No, zero percent chance. Bro, they don't play I, ball I, like that. Yeah, no goddamn way they release Nate Diaz because but, you know what'll happen if Nate Diaz wants to do an MMA fight. 
old Scotty Cox will be like, hey, Nathaniel, who do you want to fight on my roster? Just yeah. let me know. Look, I think that's possible, but straight up, if Nate gets released or when he walks from the UFC, he will be in the ring with Jake Paul. Oh, yeah. That's that's the fight to make. I mean, that's, that's where he's well, going to be. Why do I feel like within the next 12 months, Jake Paul fights Conor McGregor? It's possible. He, he's definitely been putting it out there. I think it's possible. I don't think it happens in the next 12 months, though. You could be right. You should clip this and save it. Put it in a folder, and let's see if your prediction's correct. I do think before it's all said and done, they do fight. But I think Connor's going to fight one time in the next 12 months, and it's going to be for a damn championship. Oh, I feel like Dana's already kind of basically told us he is. Yeah, you're right. No, but look, to me, with Connor, the fight to make is the trilogy with Nate Diaz. Yeah. If you tell me that Connor is ready to go in July, which is the, the date you keep hearing, have him versus Nate headline the um, July 4th weekend show. I, I know right now it looks like it sounds like it's slated to be headlined by Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards. Um, but, like, look, if if Connor's going to be ready to go in July, and that's a big question mark still. I mean, you're coming back from a cast rock injury. Um by the way, I don't know if you uh, you saw this, um, you know, because you know all these Will Smith memes are out there. Uh, someone decided to uh, clip uh, when uh, Connor was down, sitting on the ground, talking about Poirier's wife. Uh huh. It's out there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the meme the meme lords have been out there, huh? And uh, yeah, the, the, that was that was a meme that whenever that happened, like the MMA world got out, and and this was right up our alley. Oh, I know, man. Like, I, I, it's just, it's funny as I was sitting in the office today of how many people who cover this sport were posting articles on this. And I'm like, oh, God, you guys can't help yourself. It's called the clicks, buddy. I mean, we're trying to capture the zeitgeist oh. of the internet, and that's all it was. It, it captured the zeitgeist of the, of the internet. No, my guy, Eric Nixick, he had a great tweet the other day. He tweeted on on a fight night and it was basically saying there's way too many journalists out there that are literally just trying to screenshot uh, tweets and comments. Yeah. That's not even journalism, man. Yeah. God, I got, I got to find it. Uh, it Cause like it was such, uh, this was what the tweet was. The majority of MMA media outlets are now basically screenshots of fighters, Twitter beefs, and they're back and forth. If you, if I gave a shit, I'd follow those fighters. Hashtag clickbait. He ain't wrong, bro. He ain't wrong. That's most of the content. It is. You know, it's kind of sad, but that's just how it goes. It's lazy. But the thing is, it works. People click on the articles and uh, websites make money. You know, the journalists really don't because not very many journalists in this game are making money. Dude, but, uh, yeah. you know what the thing I notice, and this is just in general, in just sports media, is that a lot of like tweets and Facebook posts you see are just so like they're so clickbait that you really don't even know what the article is at this point. Yeah, I've seen that before. I've seen that often throughout. And yeah, it's just they're just trying to get you to make that initial click. That's like their whole strategy is to get a whole crap load of people to click on things whenever they're 
on a on a news feed on a, on a social media platform. Oh, I know it, it's crazy. Uh, you know, you know. Of course, uh, Conor McGregor was in the news last week, but also who was in the news? Jorge Masvidal, a uh, alleged, I guess we gotta say, alleged incident in uh, Miami Beach where allegedly Jorge Masvidal attacked Colby Covington at a Miami Beach steakhouse on March the 22nd. Uh, the report from the uh, police report is Masvidal approached uh, Covington wearing, by the way, they didn't name Covington in, in the suit, in the, the name, but wearing a hoodie and a blue surgical mask. By the way, that's the funniest part of this story, by the way. Yeah. Because as I recall, Masvidal is uh, 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 an anti-mask person, I think. You know, I'm pretty for, sure. <laughs> like that, that was the part of the story that I found the most comical. Uh, it says that he was wearing a surgical mask outside the Poppy Steak Restaurant and blindsided him with two punches to the face, resulting in a fractured tooth. The police report also claims that Masvidal was accompanied by three or four men. Masvidal charged with aggravated battery, resulting in great bodily harm and criminal mischief as arraignment is set for april the 21st um true story daniel so i uh i sent this text to uh, a couple people in the mma community and i said some people are about that life and some people are about that life in front of a camera and the response i got was facts yeah it's a it's a fact some people are like that's what you gotta understand about people is like some people are just they take this serious, man, and they, and they don't think about consequences when you say things that offend them, and they're going to act like Jorge Masvidal, or they're going to act like Will Smith, and that's just the reality of the world, and to be frank, it's pretty messed up what Masvidal did. Like, that's a messed up thing to do. It's, I'm, not, it's, uh, yeah. I'm not condoning what he did, but Kobe Covington should have never talked about his kids. Yeah, yeah. He definitely crossed the line there for sure. And if you're a father, that's a that's a that's a thing that you want to defend physically. I mean, the problem is Jorge Masvidal had that opportunity inside a cage and uh was unsuccessful in doing that. So that's why it's kind of a lame move by him to sucker punch Colby Covington, to be completely honest with you. I don't want to talk too much because I don't want Masvidal to show up in a surgical mask and sucker punch me. But to be honest with you, Masvidal is about that life, no doubt. But kind of a lame move to do that to Colby Covington, to be honest. I can't believe I'm defending Colby Covington here, but to sucker punch a dude, lame move. It is like you should, if you want to confront a guy about insulting your children, you need to like touch them on the shoulder and be like, it is time to do combat. Don't sucker punch somebody. This is a thing. And once again, not condoning what Jorge Maslow did. Colby Covington kept poking that bear. Let's be honest about it. And I will say this, the media who has access to Colby Covington has to start to take a little bit of responsibility because you continue to give this guy a platform to spew where he wants to say. Now, I talk about Eric Nixick. I'm not going to name the fighter here, but they responded to a post from an MMA website, a very popular MMA website that uh, mentioned about how uh, Colby Covington is pressing charges against Jorge Mazadal, which um, let's just say I had some text messages that, uh, l- l- let's just say, 
the the term bitch move was was said to me. But this fighter who's in the UFC said Colby needs to be his real self. I don't want to hear him talk any more crazy shit after this one. I totally agree with what that that UFC fighter said. Yeah, I I think uh, that would be great, but I guarantee you that will not happen. Oh, I think he's gonna he's gonna amp it to another level. I mean, you know, it was interesting to see Habib's comments. Basically, you know, and look, we'll see what happens with Colby Covington. I don't think you will hear from Colby Covington until uh, his uh, his injuries are healed. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of crazy the damage that that happened there. But yeah, here's it's the question. A, uh, here's the more important question. How did Jorge Masvidal know where he was at? You gotta think somebody told him in Colby's group, dude. If you're Colby Covington, are you looking around going, <laughs> "Who's got my back?" Yeah, give me the phones. I mean, at the end of the day, it is it is it is Masvidal's area, so maybe there was someone look, there. Look, I, I've always I've always heard this: Masvidal is the king of Miami. Yeah, and that I mean, like it, it's just. It's a weird thing to me that Covington's pressing charges. Like, do you think that, like, it almost makes me wonder of, is this just Kobe going, Hey, this is me. Another way for me to poke the bear and say F you. Probably. I mean, he, Kobe is kind of a Karen. So yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, what Masvidal did is unacceptable, but pressing charges and kind of a lame move for a UFC fighter. Like that, that's the part of this story. Like, if the, if the police say, hey, we're going to press charges, you know, we don't care what, what the uh, the victim in the story thinks, but it's like the fact that the story's out there that Colby is pressing charges, that that's the part to me that I just, like, it's one of those things. If you put 10 MMA fighters in a room and you say, off the record, what's your thoughts on this? How many of them say bitch move? Probably nine out of the 10, probably 10 out of 10. Oh, I think it's I, 10 out of 10. Yeah, with the mentality of a fighter, exactly. So it's it's a very right. very situation where they wouldn't do a thing like that. Bigger question: True, false. Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal happens before the end of this year, and the UFC uses this as promotional material. Look, I think the UFC would use it as promotional material, but I don't think this fight happens. But they totally would if it gets booked. I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess it could happen, but damn, like Colby really decisively beat him last time out. Like that's the thing that did happen, you know? Look, I have no, no interest. By the way, the, the probably the, the funniest part of this story. So the day after um, that uh, Covington was, or excuse me, that Mazdal was arrested, Game Bread Fighting Championship was on the Nevada State Athletic Commission agenda for a request for a promoter's license. Oh my God. And, uh, um, the new executive director there basically says, Hey, I'm not sure why we still have this on the agenda. I think we should table this one. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> wow. Here's a question I don't, What do you do with Colby Covington next? Man, I, I, I is don't, it the Luke uh, Blood Muhammad winner? I guess so. I mean, I think a Muhammad fight would make a lot of sense. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys he's calling out aren't realistic options, right? Like that Poirier fight is just not going to happen. So I, I think it is the Luke Muhammad winner. I mean, that's just kind of where he's at in that weight class. If you're Dustin Poirier, why, I mean, why, why does that fight make sense? 
money. It, it just, it would be a big, is it a big money fight though? I think it was something that could headline a show for sure. I think the trash talk would elevate it in, in a major way. I haven't, I haven't seen what the, the Masvidal Covington pay-per-view did. So I yeah. guess I would probably play into it as well. Yeah, I think it wouldn't be as big as Masvidal Covington. No doubt about it. It would be a, a smaller show for sure. But I, I do think those two guys would elevate each other. And I think it would probably be a bigger fight than whoever Poirier fights next if it's not Connor. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I uh, Bustin' with the Boys is one of the podcasts I listen to. Uh-huh. So Brent Schaub was on there. Uh-huh. Guess who he said is coming on Joe Rogan's podcast? Who? Donald Trump. That's that's going to be great. That's going to really uh, really keep Joe under the radar. <laughs> I'm just like, that's insane, bro. He was talking that he said that he he believes that Rogan gets between 11 and 13 million downloads an episode. I'm like, holy crap. Holy crap. That is insane. Yeah. Insane, bro. I mean, I was like, holy cow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if Donald Trump's on there, then like that would be a, like um, one of the most listened to podcasts ever. Um, another note to mention the ultimate fighter, whatever season this, I think, I don't know what season this we're on at this point. <laughs> um, they have wrapped up filming, but the most interesting thing, Dana was doing an interview last week and he was asked about when Pena and Nunez rematch will happen. He's like, well, I don't know because, uh, they haven't been told by ESPN on when the ultimate fighter will air. Oh my goodness. So it's all, all in relation to when will, uh, when will that season start, and when will those two uh, have their rematch? Yeah, so they they don't even know when it's going to air. Have they taped the show? Yeah, the show is already taped. I the reason I knew taping was over is because I'm friends with Chandler Cole on Facebook, and I saw him start posts on Facebook. I'm like, well, clearly he's filming's a, over. Yeah, yeah, he got kicked out of the house, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very clear that. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, I always say I'm going to give the ultimate fire season a chance. I never do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I thought I was last year and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just lost track after like four episodes and I don't think this will be any different, but we'll see. Maybe I'll give it another chance. By the way, if you're looking for a heartwarming moment of the week, Dan Hooker arriving back home and his daughter running to him in the airport. Oh, that sounds great. Thank goodness he didn't have to wait for two weeks again. Uh, another uh, note. Apparently, uh, Chartree came out and said that they're going to be announcing a major United States media rights deal saying, quote, it's a very big deal, a U.S. primetime multi-year deal. Wow, that's going to be interesting. Uh, congratulations to Demetrius Johnson getting that win. It's going to be interesting to see where where that is. I would love to see them on on a on a legit uh, you know television station. But I did see rumors that possibly Amazon is going to be involved. I, that I was thinking Amazon. What about Netflix? You see, Netflix would be huge because their Apprentice show that they did with uh for charge tree uh was on net it was a netflix show 
I don't even know what the Apprentice show is. It was uh, the B uh, Chartree's Apprentice on Netflix. That, yeah, that yeah. was on. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, that is not a thing. That is. Oh God! I turned on Netflix, and now the 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 video from the the the, the show Netflix's algorithm wants me to watch this playing on my headset. I didn't know that was a thing that existed. That Chartree had a, a show on Netflix where people were being his apprentice. What the hell? I mean, I mean, look. That's it, random. The thing is, oh, by the way, speaking of streaming, I turned on the FUBU Sports Network last Friday night. Uh-huh. The PFL show was there. There you go. So PFL yeah, to, did not do a very good job of letting everyone know that, though, by the way. <laughs> too too busy uh, trying to tell us how they're the number two organization in the world. Yeah, their priorities are just absolutely, completely set and correct. Yeah, it was it was the heavyweights. Um I mean, look, I'm I'm interested to watch this season of PFL. I am. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited to see Kayla Harrison fight. I think we all know how that's going to go down, but you know, I'll be watching every PFL main card and and keeping up with the tournament. Interested to see who her first matchup is against. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I don't think we're going to see her matched up with Bud if, until the finals. I mean, look, you know, that would be to me. That's the ideal final, especially being on pay per view. You got you're gonna have to have fights that people want to see. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Yeah, they're, I... yeah, they're gonna start off with the lightweights. Um, that'll be the first uh, week. That's gonna be on April twentieth. I want to say Kayla is fighting sometime in May. I want to say she's fighting a day before. Um, I want to say she's fighting May 6th, which is the day before UFC 274. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that that uh, that would be, uh, it's going to be appointment viewing. This season's going to be very exciting. They really need to knock it out of the park to make that pay-per-view marketable. Uh, it's it's as simple as that. They are going to need to build stars during the season. You know, speaking of pay-per-view, I will tell you on Saturday morning, I saw a lot of people tweeting about one championship. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a notable show, man. And a lot of crazy things happened, right? That Akiyama win over Aoki was pretty nuts. I didn't realize how big of a blood feud they had. So, But there was a lot of hate. Yeah, so apparently um, that was pretty much on pay-per-view worldwide. Like in, unless they were in a market where you know they they got so much of a big rights deal, but um, you know it, it's it it will be interesting to see what kind of impact can one championship have in the United States. Yeah, yeah, because they think. they've made it very clear they're coming to the U.S. to do shows. They were trying to do shows uh, pre-pandemic in Hawaii, um, and then I want to say it was last year they were trying to go to Colorado. And uh, let's just say I had some interesting interactions about what would the rule set be. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Colorado. I feel like I feel like one FC's got to go about it the right way so they don't ruffle feathers in this country amongst the athletic I, commissions. I, I, look, if they're going to do it right, they just they got to go to the commission that says, "Hey, you're under the unified rules. You're not under the rules that you run in Singapore." Yeah. Now, and, and look, I understand there's going to be a fan base that does not like that. There's going to be a fan base that wants to see kicks on the ground and all that. But I, I think for a lot of, a lot of uh, commissions here in the United States, they're not going to go for that. I, if, they're try, if, if one championship is trying to do that, they're going to have to commission shop. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, that's a bad strategy. If you want to set your flag in, in America and run consistently and have great success, as the old saying goes, they need to run towards regulation, not run away from it, not commission shop, not build that reputation, because it's a very small world amongst these commissions. And if you rub one major influencer the wrong way, you'll rub multiple the wrong way. And it's going to be rough, rough sledding for you. They'll probably call Texas. They'll call Ford. By the way, speaking of Ford, I don't know if you saw this. And uh, the Combate Global Show last week had open scoring. Wow, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, I know uh, Scott Fontana there of, uh, we'll say it's, we'll say he works for the uh, New York Post, had a big piece about it. And uh, yeah, they did open scoring, which it's, they're, it's going to be interesting because so the the next ABC meeting is happening in July, and uh, I'm, t- I'm I'm going to try to go up there to do a show, and uh, that's kind of one of my questions of, but my whole thing with open scoring is, I don't think promotions like the UFC and Bellator are for it. Why do you think they wouldn't be for it? From a television production aspect, the only, that, to me, that's the whole reason why you wouldn't be for it because you want that drama. Yeah. If you know the score, there's no drama anymore. Like I feel like they want that drama. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting viewpoint. I, I think you can still create that drama in other ways with the, telling the story of the score so the fans know that he's gonna put up he or she's gonna put up or shut up in this round down on the scorecards, right? Like maybe a round three of Brown versus Barbara is more interesting if this if the scoring is open. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things of in the past when I've had these conversations with various people in the, in the MMA industry, it's one of these things of, I think it's like looking at the pros and cons of, okay, if we have open scoring, how does that have a dramatic effect on how we how things work out in a fight? Is it one of those situations where, you know, if Matt Brown knew it was 1-1, maybe he does fight a little different. Maybe maybe Brian Barberina fights a little different. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, it, it's absolutely Matt Brown would have put his foot more on the gas pedal in that third round. I think that goes that absolutely would have happened. Yeah, I mean it, it's it'll be interesting to see if more and more commissions, you know, will notable commissions will would would Nevada would California. Would they go and say, let's do open scoring? I mean, I think that is a big, it's a big question mark as we had in the year. I mean, from a fighter's aspect, I would love to see open scoring. I just don't know if these major promoters and, and television executives want that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like you're probably onto something in that. They probably don't want that on their broadcast. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting to kind of see how that, that thing's going to play out as uh, we, we approach uh faster here into 2022 crazy. It's bro. Friday is April the 1st. Where has these first three months of the year gone? It feels like it just turned January. Not that long ago. And here we are, man. It's insane. Like the super bowl feels like a fill like out. Tom Brady just retired and he's already back. It's a great thing, bro. Yeah. A great thing for you, buddy. <laughs> Great thing for you. For the rest of the league, maybe not so much. No, no, you're you're not wrong, man. Not wrong. I mean, yeah. Before before you know it, training camp will be here. Before you know it, I mean, uh, I guess uh, it sounds like we're play, we're going to be playing the Titans at some point in the uh, in the preseason. Kind of oh. came out today that uh, they're going to be doing some uh, joint practices. So uh, 
Nashville in August? Sign me up, bro. Yeah, Sign man. me up to be a you Nashville. You get some hot chicken, bro. Bro, Nashville is a, uh, man, you talk about a party city, bro? Yeah. I didn't know this until, um, was it the last time I went to Nashville? So apparently Nashville is the bachelorette party capital of the world. Yes, sir, it is. Yes, sir, it is. I'm not going to ask how you know that, but. It's it's like a it's like a thing. It's a thing people know. It's a it's a thing people know. It's 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 common. I, I knew that. I mean, I don't know. I uh, people go for the the country music and the bars and the whatnot. But that, that's like a common fact. I, I'm not I'm not a country music fan, bro. Um, but goddamn, you cannot find a bar on Broadway in Nashville that's not does not have music. Yeah, just live music everywhere. Everyone trying to be the next Toby Keith, the next George Strait. Dude, I'm gonna tell you what, it is some of the best people watching you'll see. Yeah. That's a yeah. And all these big cities, I bet I guarantee you, whether it be there, New Orleans, there's so many great oh, places God, for people New watching. Oh, New Orleans. Woof. Yeah. yeah. That's some fine quality people watching. Yeah. <laughs> If you ever go to New Orleans, I'll tell you the spots to hit. <laughs> you want some people watching. <laughs> you got to come up with like a book about all the people watching we, we've been, you've been Ooh, through. Man, good Lord. I have seen some crazy ass stuff. I absolutely believe it, brother. Bro, let's just say when I was working uh, in terrestrial radio for a top 40 station and being in a nightclub three nights a week, saw a lot of interesting things. <laughs> Yeah, nightclub brings out the crazies. I would tell you, because uh, I'm I'm heading to Houston here um, next couple of weeks. It looks like, and uh, I remember one year we went to Houston. We were some some bar had like an outside area, so we started playing beer pong. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there were some people who were fascinated on on our beer pong abilities. <laughs> oh, they they were impressed. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you saw this. Darren Ravel had a tweet. Someone has actually created like a beer pong bar kind of, you know, video game type thing. Wow. That yeah. sounds interesting. I, I would be down with that. That sounds like the, you know, I, I went to a top golf. I thoroughly enjoyed myself there. I mean, uh, that sounds like something I would enjoy too. Yeah, I saw it. And I literally, uh, I sent it to our management uh, group text saying, Hey fellas, we might need to invest in this thing. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think he, <laughs> I think without a doubt, maybe just for you yourself to enjoy it. But I think that sounds badass. Yeah, that hope you just be yeah. faced every night of the week. No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, as always, appreciate everyone taking time out of the day to download and listen to this week's episode. We will be back next week as we will get you ready for UFC 273.